Thank you. As was uh, shared with you last week, on Thursday this past week, I um, was in the hospital for cataract surgery in one of my eyes, and uh, the other couple of weeks now, they go back into the other one. And I'll just tell you honestly, that was a very new experience for me, and it was comforting for me to know that as I went into surgery Thursday morning, um, you had committed to pray for me, to know I was not alone in that, and things seemed to have gone well. Um, the very, very good news coming out of surgery on Thursday was, I was told that for the next week, um, I'm not allowed to wash the floor or load the dishwasher. That was good news. Well, one of the fun things Harry and I have been able to do over 40 years in, in ministry is go into maternity when um, a new baby's been born and we meet a couple and we see their new little baby and um, often, as you would imagine, often ask them, what are you going to call the new little um, boy or girl, son or daughter, whatever it is. That's very important, this whole idea of naming um, a new baby. I am called after my grandfather, whose name was obviously also Thomas. My parents had great affection for him, and so they called uh, me. I'm the first son, and they called me Thomas. My wife is uh, called after an uncle, Harry, um, in Scotland, who was killed in the Second World War. And so this whole idea of naming is important. And I wonder if you know what your name means. Um, we have a daughter called Jennifer. Jennifer means gentle spirit. Uh, we have an Andrew, means manly. Peter, of course, means the rock. Um, Thomas, by the way, means twin. Somebody once said, I can't imagine there being two of you. Uh, it just doesn't work. And Harriet, my wife's name from it's the German root of her name. Harriet means ruler of the house. I wish I'd known that earlier. It's a little too late now, but that's what that means. Um, <coughs> names are important in the Bible, and often people, as you know, who have a strong encounter with God, their name has changed. Abraham becomes Abraham, um, Simon becomes Peter, and Saul becomes Paul. And this idea of name is not just what they're going to call you. In the Bible, your name involves and incorporates and embraces your identity. In the book of Proverbs, your name means your character. And so it says to us in the book of Proverbs, a good name is better than riches. In other words, your character. Character obviously means um, it's more important than how much money you have in the bank. Someone wants to fight character as character is what you are when no one is looking. It's just who you really are on the inside. That's really what you are. So this morning, as uh, Cindy prayed, we begin a new series on, um, on some of the ways that Jesus is introduced for Jesus describes himself. I'm the light of the world. And I'm the bread of life. And I'm the good shepherd. And uh, I really hope you'll be able to walk with us um, through this series and week by week just grow um, in it. For about 20, 25 years... Um, in ministry, every, every um, season between Christmas and Easter, which are kind of the bookends of Jesus' life. Um, I've taught a series on the person of Jesus, on the Gospels, or something to do with Jesus. Because we say that we're people who follow Jesus. So we really ought to know who Jesus is. And he really needs to be the center of our lives. And to help us in this, as you know, we shared with you last week, um, we've written a study guide that goes along with this. If you didn't get one last week, we'll have some available um, for this morning. If you've got a toonie, um, could you just leave us a toonie for printing? If you don't, that's okay. But you also can download it from the, um, the English website for the church. So I love those places, and I really encourage you, if you would get a study guide, and if you would read ahead of me, ahead of the church on a Sunday morning, 
Because that will help you to step into it, to prepare for it, to know what's coming up, okay? And this will take us all the way to Easter Sunday, in which we will declare from Jesus when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And just to be very honest, standing before this series and thinking about it and praying for it, um, I just really feel overwhelmed, as we ought to. Because uh, we will leave so much behind, but we stand before um, an unbelievable truth and an immense truth. And in these statements, we will discover just much more than the names of Jesus. We'll be digging our way into his identity. We'll be exploring the character of Jesus, whom the Gospel of John calls the one and only. And that's vital. If you've read the introduction in the study guide, it says, Christianity must be about Jesus Christ, or it is nothing at all. Christianity is not a philosophy. It's not some practical help for a better home, or a marriage, or whatever. These things are important, but they, at the core, it must be about Jesus Christ, or it is nothing at all. I mean, When Paul wrote his letter to the church in Philippi, he has a great prayer, which needs to be ours. He says, I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So we begin this series this morning really talking about the identity of Jesus in the Christmas story, and what is embedded and what do we embrace in this word Jesus, in his name, as Willis has led us in worship this morning. We've got to go back to the Christmas story. If you have a Bible this morning, or you follow it on an iPod, or whatever you do. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Back into the Christmas story. That's where we start. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, that's Joseph, by the way, in a dream, and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So Joseph is told, he's instructed, his name is to be Jesus, because he'll save people from their sins. Jesus, you may know in the New Testament, is the Old Testament name Joshua, Yeshua. Joshua was the great military commander who took out after Moses and led the people of Israel into the promised land. It's not a name that Joseph and Mary come up with. There's no human discussion. There's no discussion or dialogue about this on the way to Bethlehem. What do you think we should call this baby boy? The name is given to Joseph by an angel. Not a suggestion, not an idea. It's really an order. It's an instruction. And the order does not come just from the angel. The order really, the direction comes directly from God. The angel is simply the messenger. And the, the angel passes on to these two humans this word, this name that he brings from God. So we begin and we ask, who is this Jesus of Nazareth, who on the one hand is a simple carpenter from Galilee, but at the same time this immensely complex person? Who is he? Now remember the idea of name is really a shorthand for character, identity, integrity, and purpose, all rolled into one. And the name of Jesus is to be used with carefulness, and as we'll see this morning, with authority. When I was a student in Scotland going to university to make my money for fees and all those kinds of things, I used to be a truck driver. 
I go truck around the west coast of Scotland. And I am sure in those years I have heard every swear word imaginable. I am still offended, as I was then, when people use the name of Jesus as a swear word. I'm still offended by that. Because he is the one who is our Lord. He is the one who came the word become flesh. And so think with me for a moment. What was his name before it was Jesus? Because Jesus is his human name. The Bible gives us some insight into that. His name is simply, I think, Son. That's what God, the Father, calls him. Here's from Hebrews, chapter 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets many times in many various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. In heaven, he is known as the Son. The chapter goes on. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You're my Son? Or today have you become my Father? Or I will be your Father and he will be your Son? God never uses that to the angels. And you see this title echoed again in the baptism of Jesus. The voice from heaven says, This is my beloved Son, whom I love. Not this is Jesus, but this is the Son. God is affirming His relationship with Him. We have to understand this. That the name of Jesus is the human name that envelops the identity of the one who is the Son of God. Who shares the same essence of God. Who is God. Who speaks with the authority of God. And in fact is critical understanding to know what the name of Jesus means. Let me give you this morning five headings. And when I use the word headings it just means these are just the opening ideas. And we need to step into them more and understand them. Five headings. It teaches about the name of Jesus. First of all, the name of Jesus is the stimulus for our worship. It's the catalyst for our worship. I've shared with you before as a church that I believe the primary calling of a church is is not evangelism, important that is. It's vital we invite people to come and follow Jesus. Nor is our primary ministry edification, building up... Christians and strengthening them, important as that is. But above everything else, I suggest to you that we're called to be worshippers. People who worship God in spirit and in truth. We are to be people who are in love with Jesus. And who express that out of the praise and the gratitude of our hearts. And worships far, far beyond the hymns that we like to sing. Whether we use guitars or pianos or organs, whether we sing at the hymn book or off the wall, worship is far beyond our personal preferences. Worship is about focusing on the life and the spirit of a person whose name is Jesus. It is more and more about falling in love with this Jesus and falling at his feet in praise and adoration. Remember Paul writes in that marvelous hymn in Philippians, we begin our service with it. Therefore God has exalted him to the highest place. Hyper-exalted him, it really says. And given him the name which is above every name, that is the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. 
You see, before anything else, we're called to be worshipers. People who are not ashamed to declare that we love Jesus and all that his name and person means to us. Worship's not about what we sing. Worship is about how we live. And it's about how we love. There's something much more important about raising our hands, and it's fine if you want to do that. At times it's about kneeling before this Jesus. And one day, folks, we will do that. And there are times that we should not be afraid to do that now. I know that we have a great desire in the days ahead to see VCBC as a whole church grow. And we ask and talk, how do we do that? How do we make that happen? It's not a case of finding some new technique for church growth. Because technique is the Trojan horse in the city of God. Somewhere at the heart and the core of our identity as a church, we must be people who live out what it means to be authentic worshippers of Jesus, who worship His name in all of our lives. That's a heading. There's another heading. The name of Jesus is the authority for our ministry. A verse that we sometimes quote, it comes from the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew says to us, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am with them. Remember that verse? You know, we misquote and misuse that verse a whole lot. We usually use this verse when fewer people turn up for a church meeting than we were expecting. That's when we use that verse. We were expecting, you know, 20 people and only 5 show up. But we say, well, it doesn't matter because we're only two or three gathered in my name, there am I in the midst. So we say, no problem, two or three show up, Jesus is here anyway. And so we go on with our small meeting, and we try to feel a little better. That is not the point of the verse. That verse is about the verse of the authority of the presence of Jesus. It means that Jesus is present when we meet in his name. <coughs> it means that when we meet in his name, we don't meet to hear my opinion or your opinion. We do not meet to do what I want done or what you want done. We meet to hear the words of Jesus. We meet to hear what Jesus once done. We don't meet in the name of Vancouver Chinese Baptist Church or anything else. We meet in the name of Jesus. It is not less than that, and it's not more than that. The name of Jesus is His Word. It is His authority. It is, it is His Word and not mine. It is His Word, not yours. It is not the Word of the majority. It is the Word of His authority that comes into the meaning of the church and comes into worship. It is His name. One of the ministries of the church is, and uh, Pastor Cindy prayed for this, is ministry to the sick. From the book of James. Is any one of you in trouble? You should pray. Do you happy? Let them sing songs of praise. And then James says, Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. Over um, many years. At times with other people, sometimes with my wife Harriet, we've done that. Sometimes in homes, we gather in our circle, we did this a few weeks ago, at one of our deacon's homes, and anointed them with oil and prayed for them. Sometimes Harriet and I have done that in ICU rooms in a hospital. We've knelt beside a bed, and with the nurse's permission, we've anointed someone with oil, and prayed over them in the strong name of Jesus. As we prayed for people, 
Sometimes they have lived in the goodness of God, and I don't know why. And sometimes God has taken them home, and I don't know why. Several years ago, one night in the hospital in Victoria, Harriet and I knelt down beside the bed of our daughter-in-law who was dying. And we laid hands on her. We anointed her with oil. I think I've prayed more intensely at that time than ever before. And God took her home the next day. And we don't know why. We don't know why. People have said to me, why do you do this? We do it in And we do it in obedience. And we do it in the name of Jesus. He is the one who stands beside us, who kneels beside us in these moments. It is really his hands that pour the oil. It is really his hands that are laid on the heads of the people. It is his hands who hears our prayers. I don't know if you do that a lot as a church. I'm not advocating that we start healing services. But I would gently say to us, let us not be afraid in one another of the ministry of anointing and prayer at sensitive times and in proper ways. And whenever we do this, we can do it only in the authority of Jesus. It is only in His name. The name of Jesus is the basis for our prayer. We usually end our prayers this way. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Is that just kind of a nice formula? Or do we say that just because then other people will know we're finished? And the prayers come to an end. From the Gospel of John, John chapter 14. Jesus says, And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Ask anything in my name. It sounds kind of like Jesus is giving us almost a blank check. And yet we know that what we ask in his name is not always answered. At least it's not always with a yes. There's something we need to know about this word ask. And it comes out of the Greek text. It's not in the English text. And so just allow me to lead you for a moment in this. Briefly, here's what it is. The Greek text has got two words, for the, two different words for the word ask. So, for instance, one word is from the word ask. The person is what I, the only way I can describe it is is talking to an equal. So, when a doctor phones up another doctor and says, "I need some information about this patient," it's a kind of an equal. If you understand me, talking to an equal, got me? Or a lawyer talks to a lawyer. Sometimes I may phone up another pastor and say, can you tell me about this person or this situation? So an equal, someone who's kind of got the same background, the same orientation, the same training, the same skills, whatever you want to call it, is talking to someone who is an equal. Now there's another word for ask in Greek. And this means when someone who is lower down is asking someone who is kind of higher up. You got that? Hello? Good, okay, you got it. But here's what we got to know, and it's in the Greek text of John, it's not in English, but it just, I just think it's, it's important stuff. When Jesus says, he will ask the Father, the word that is always used in John 
is the word of an equal talking to an equal. When Jesus says, and we can ask the Father, the word changes. And it becomes the word for someone who is lower down, asking someone who is higher. That word is never used in John when Jesus says, I will ask the Father. It's one of the subtle ways, but one of the important ways, in which John is affirming the divinity of Jesus. This Jesus shares the same essence. He's on the same level. He shares, he's equal to the Father. When Jesus talks to the Father, he speaks on the same level as the Father. The point is that Jesus asks the Father is someone who is on that same perfect wavelength as the Father. He knows how he thinks, how he feels, what he desires, and so his prayers are answered. When we ask the Father. Our prayers and what we desire, which are very imperfect, our prayers need to be filtered and matured by the name of Jesus in heart and in spirit. But we pray in the name of Jesus, asking Jesus to mature and to filter and bring our prayers to the Father. And as it were, to, to cast aside all the junk and all the, all the selfish stuff, to throw all of that out. And bring to the Father prayers that really will bring glory to Him. The name of Jesus, number four, may also be the reason for some injustice that we face. Now, none of us likes to struggle and face adversity, especially when it doesn't seem to be fair. Then our, our moral outrage just rises to new heights. But if we lived in a place or in a culture that said, you will not get this promotion, you will not get this house, your children will not go to a better school because you're a Christian. The last couple of weeks, Harry, I've met a young man um, who was born and lived in, um, I think the country's called Eritrea. Eritrea? I had to say to him, where's that? It's in East Africa. And um, his father got demoted and lesser jobs, lesser jobs, because he was a Christian. And this young man suffered the same issues and ended up living a um, number of years in uh, refugee camps. He was um, brought to Canada by the Canadian government as a refugee. He wants to be a pastor. And has a, just a tremendous heart for Jesus. But he has suffered terribly in his life simply because he's a Christian. He said in the refugee camp where he was in, and apparently on your passport or in your documents, your religion is listed. And people were getting clothes and getting food and all kinds of things in the refugee camp. And when he came to the table or wherever, and it says Christian, he puts down his papers, and he's a Christian, he was given um, one little t-shirt and just a little bit of wheat, simply because he was a Christian. How do you respond to that? Everything in us says, that's not fair. It wasn't easy to be a Christian in the times of First Peter, because the emperor Nero was not a very nice man. When he needed more light for his evening orgies, one of the things he liked to do is he tied Christians to stakes, covered them with oil, and set them on fire. And that's how he lit up his garden parties, his orgies. So Peter writes, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange was happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Jesus 
so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. For the spirit of glory and the name of Christ rests in you. You're blessed for the spirit of glory. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief, any kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. But if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God. Because he says, praise God because you bear that name. Do you know the name Christians only used three times in the New Testament? And it's always used in a kind of derogatory sense. It is used by outsiders talking about these Christian people. If we suffer, says Peter, it should not be as a thief, a murderer, obviously not. A gossiper, obviously not. I'm glad he didn't mention speeding. But if you suffer as a Christian, he says, in other words, the only charge that can be brought against you, the only accusation that you face is that you are a Christ follower. And Jesus says, can you praise God that you bear that name, the name of Jesus. Lastly, number five. The name of Jesus is the power of our message. Joseph is told that his name will be called Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Embedded in the name of Jesus, Yeshua, is the purpose of his coming. And we will not know Jesus, we cannot know Jesus, if we will separate his name from his purpose, which is bringing salvation, the message of salvation, to the world. He says in the Gospel of Mark about himself, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That Son of Man is a title from the Old Testament. It's used 80 times in the New Testament, and 77 of them are by Jesus himself. It is the way in which Jesus identifies with us in terms of his full humanity. Now many people would agree with the opening part of that verse. We need people in the world who did not come to be served, but to serve. We need politicians and world leaders who do not come looking for their own stuff, but who come to serve their countries and serve the world. That's exactly what we need. We need, we need in our world people who are not takers. We need givers. And then Jesus adds this last phrase that changes everything. Which is to give his life as a ransom for many. Now that's a different deal. People may come willing to serve, but who wants to go that far to give his life as a ransom for many? Jesus knew that embedded in his name, the name of Jesus, was the truth that he came to die for the sins of the world. And that sacrifice, as we'll see week by week, is woven into his name. So when the angel tells Jesus, sorry, the angel tells Joseph and then Mary, you will give them the name Jesus, it is saying a great deal. Because embedded in his name is the focus of our worship. Embedded in his name is the authority for our ministry. The resolve against some injustice, the authority of our message. Jesus is not afraid of the pressure of pluralism that Christianity and the church faces today. When psychologists debate and define what it means to be healthy and whole as people, Jesus will come to the podium and he will have the last word. When sociologists debate how we can make this world a better place, Jesus will come to the podium, and he will have the last word. When philosophers debate and argue about truth, whether everything is relative or even if truth exists, Jesus will come to the podium, and he will have the last word. When government leaders and world leaders discuss how we can have peace and stability in our world, how we can end hunger, how we can bring an end to injustice, how we can solve the great disparity between the rich and the poor, 
Jesus will come to the podium. And he will have the last word. So when we take the name of Jesus, the one who is the Son of God and the Son of Man, and this morning if we will declare that we are Jesus' followers, we follow the one, the one and only who has changed the course of the history of the world by changing the lives of men and women by the power of his name. Would you stand with me please? Willis, would you come?